Well, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 3 John. Um, if you are not certain where 3 John is, if you go to the back of the Bible, the last book of the Bible is Revelation. The one-page letter before that is Jude, and one-page letter before that is 3 John, and so you just kind of work your way back to that. Not very far. But this morning, we're beginning this very brief study of 3 John. We've been working our way through uh, John's letters, 1 John. We finished 2 John last week. <clears throat> and we're going to be finishing uh, that longer study up this week and next week as we look through 3 John. And it's been a joy um, for me and hopefully for you going through these letters. And really, that's going to be our focus today is joy. The third letter of of John is in, in some ways a contrast to John's second letter. Second John was written to a local body of believers. This letter we're going to look at today and next week, third John, is written to an individual named Gaius. We don't have enough information about him, Gaius, um, to know who exactly he was, but it's likely that uh, because Gaius was a common name in that time, that it's not the same Gaius that we uh, see mentioned in the book of Acts and 1 Corinthians and Romans. Second John was written with a warning that we not support the work of false teachers in any way. Third John is written commending the work of true te- teachers and encouraging support of them. And John clearly, as you'll see in these few verses, loves Gaius as a brother in Christ. There are repeated terms of love throughout the letter. Third John is the shortest letter in the New Testament and possibly the very last book of the Bible that was written. It's written between A.D. 80 and 95 and is believed to be uh, written after John was released from the island of Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation and therefore would be the latest book of the Bible that was written. It revolves around four key men and their reputations, and for this morning, what I want to propose to you is this. As followers of Christ, we ought to seek to have a reputation of joy, and that reputation is influenced by how we live. Certainly, that's the case for Gaius and the joy he brings to John. But also we see that the body of Christ brings joy to John. As they embrace the truth and walk in the truth, it produces joy. And so go ahead and stand. I'm going to read the first four verses. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. 3 John verses 1 through 4. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Let's pray. Father, what a gift it is to have your word, to be able to look to it, to hear from you, through it, and we pray for your help today, Lord, please, that you give us hearts that are receptive to you, that you be glorified through that. We love you, and we praise you in Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. 
verse 1, John introduces himself just as he does in 2 John as the elder writing to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. John says he loves Gaius in truth. In truth, just as we saw in 2 John, expresses the sincerity of John writing this letter to Gaius. But also it shows that the love that is shared between these two brothers in Christ, these two friends, is rooted in the truth revealed in Jesus Christ. A friendship rooted in the gospel. If we consider the strength and hope that the gospel brings to relationships, we can understand what John is saying here. You consider the call to love that is given to the body of Christ. We see that in 1 Corinthians 13, which is often something we look at as a wedding passage. But this is a letter to the body of Christ and a portion of a letter that's written specifically to the body of Christ. Where Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. And kind, love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known." So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. As we know from 1 John and 2 John, this call to love is deeper than just a suggestion. It's an evidence. John has written that this call to love, this picture of love between brothers and sisters in Christ is the clearest manifestation of us being His. That's why Jesus says, they will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. A friendship grounded in that gospel-motivated love is strong and dependable and deep, and we see that this friendship between John and Gaius is that rooted in ultimate truth. Four times John addresses Gaius as dear friend, this deep, heartfelt love for a brother in Christ. It goes on in verse 2, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. John's desire for Gaius is to experience good health both physically and spiritually. He prays for him that it would be true. 
prays for overall well-being for his friend Gaius, for good health, just as he says that his soul is healthy, it's well. John's praying that he would be well physically, and even more so that he would be well spiritually. He would be in good relationship with God. There are some teachers who, who take this verse and interpret it backwards, that this is a, a, a verse that teaches that if your soul is well, then your body will be well. And sadly, they teach that if your body is not well, if you are not healthy, that that's a window saying there must be something wrong with your soul. The verse that those who promote the prosperity gospel go to, cling to. But that's not at all what we should take from this verse. John's praying for his brother that his body would be well just as his soul is well. That God would bless him physically just as God has blessed him spiritually. We know from what, what John has written in 1 John, Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. He is that. We are clean. We are made new. And John is praying for Gaius that, that his physical well-being would, would resemble that, would meet that. We can learn from that. It's good. It's right to pray that for our brothers and sisters. Lord, make them well. Strengthen them. Bring joy to them. Just as you have made their soul well, and even more, God, help them to be healthy spiritually. As individuals who desire to have a reputation of joy, we ought to seek that. We ought to seek soul health. We ought to seek that our soul is healthy with God. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 7, and 8, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Train yourselves in this. Grow in this. Just over a year ago, I was acting as if I am in better shape than I am, and I hurt my shoulder, and I didn't cry, but it did hurt, and I thank you for caring, um, but my regular workouts plummeted because of the pain and the discomfort and those things. And here a year later, I'm beginning to get back into that training. But there's pain involved. There's discomfort. And, and one of the reasons for that, as I learned throughout this process, is I have an underlying condition that's causing that where there's a bone spur that is on one bone of my shoulder that constantly rubs another bone in my shoulder. And so you can take that and think about it for a while, it hurts. And so I have to be cautious and careful and, and not strain it in those ways. But I only tell you that for this reason. If you're struggling with this process of being in the Word and, and training yourself for godliness and getting into God's Word and reading, there may be something that happened 
that you need to evaluate. What has, what has happened that has caused my, my exercise in these things to plummet? Where I'm not seeking soul health maybe like I once did. And, and maybe there's something underlying. Maybe something that needs to be dealt with. Maybe something that just goes into the category of what Paul wrote, that Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you in that, so keep going through it. Even in the midst of whatever that underlying thing is, you pursue the Lord, you pursue the Lord, you pursue the Lord, and you train yourself in godliness, as Paul writes to Timothy. It goes on in verse 3 of 3 John, 4 I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. Now, here's this joy that Gaius' life brings to John. That the way that Gaius is living, his life, his reputation is bringing joy to others. I rejoiced greatly, John says. What I heard about you when the report was brought to me from these brothers who were with you, when I heard, I rejoiced greatly. I was really glad because of what others were telling me about you. And what are they telling him? What was this reputation of Gaius that brought joy to John and likely to others? First, it says they testify to your truth. Now, this is incredibly important to John. We've seen it in 1 John. We've seen it in 2 John. The truth. John loved and rejoiced that Gaius, his friend and brother in Christ, is holding fast to the truth, embracing the truth. Now, again, what is the truth? What is he talking about when he says the truth? The truth is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news that Jesus came and lived a perfect life and died on a cross so that our sins could be forgiven. It is God's word. We know that Jesus told us that. In John 17, 17, when he's praying, Lord, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And to the disciples, speaking of himself, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus saying in John 14, 6, I am the truth. And Paul in in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, speaking of um, the open proclamation of the truth and then saying, even if that gospel is veiled. So it's the gospel of Jesus who is God's word in the flesh given to us. And John says of Gaius, I rejoice. I'm so glad to hear that you're clinging to that. You're holding fast to that. Gaius is not only giving verbal assent to the truth, he's embracing it. And we see that in the next phrase, as indeed you are walking in the truth. Gaius embracing the truth results in him walking in the truth. And that's for all of us. The truth of the gospel 
impacted his heart, which impacted his living. He lives in the light of the truth that he believes. The truth was in him, and he lived what he believed. Gaius was faithful in doctrine. He held fast to the truth. He did not sway to the false teachers and what they brought, how they twisted the truth of Christ. And Gaius was faithful indeed. He lived out the truths that he held to. And those things, his doctrine and his deeds, resulted in John commending him, just as others did especially those who brought word to John about him. This is their focus. This is what they told John. We want to tell you about Gaius and his life and how he, what he's believing and how he's living. His life was praiseworthy. It was a joy to his brothers and sisters in Christ. It wasn't a contradiction between what Gaius was saying and what Gaius was doing, how he was living. Truth is not simply an idea, but it's something we live. When we embrace it, we respond to it. If the gospel is true, I want you to think about this. If the gospel is true, Jesus really did come, God in the flesh, and dwelt among us, and lived a life that we could never live, perfect in every way. He never, ever sinned and was slaughtered, killed for our sins, suffered and died for our sins, and then on the third day rose from the dead so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. If that is true, if the gospel is true, then Jesus is the king. He's king. And if he's king, then that affects the ways that we live. It certainly did for Gaius. And it brings joy to those who know him and those who see him. As followers of Christ, we, we ought to examine this truth of Gaius. We ought to consider what that means for, for how we live. We come together and we proclaim truths like, Savior, you overcame. You did everything, every single thing necessary for me to be saved. You did it all. And all you said was come and deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me and you will have eternal life and I'll be your king forever. As we come and proclaim those things together, is our day-to-day life one that would bring joy to brothers and sisters because we actually live as he is the king? He goes on in verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. It's wonderful. I have no greater joy. Now here's John who has lived a long life and pastored a long time and walked with Jesus literally, physically, walked with Jesus when he was on earth. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Not just Gaius, 
my children. That they're walking in the truth. And, and as he says my, says, my children here, he's not speaking of, of those in his household, but rather those who have come to Christ under his ministry, those he has pastored, those he's discipled. But this is for all of us, not just John. We can all learn and grow from this, from both sides. There are people in your lives people who are believers, who you have some kind of relationship to in this way, not necessarily to the extent that John did as a pastor or whatever, but, but similar to what he's saying, whether you were a spiritual mentor or a discipler to them at some point, or friend even who just spoke gospel truths to them. What is your heart response when you hear about their walk or other brothers and sisters in Christ and the body of Christ, what's your heart response to hearing that they are walking in the truth? That they're walking with Christ? And that's an important window into our heart. What brings us joy? Whether there's pride or humility in your heart. It sounds crazy, but certainly I know I resonate with this from times in my past. But examine your heart in this. Are you prone to make other people's spiritual growth about yourself? Taking credit for it? Or are you prone to be skeptical of their walk or jealous of their walk? Those are all symptoms of pride, and that's not what we see in John at all. Humility responds with genuine joy. I have no greater joy, he says. Genuine joy at the growth of others and hearing that they are walking in the truth. That's one way we ought to respond is to consider those who have been in our lives, those who are in our lives now, and how are they growing? How are they walking? What's our heart response to that? Are we rejoicing as we see people walking in the truth? And then the other way is as children. Do you, as a child of God, have a reputation of joy? Are you bringing joy to others by how you embrace and live out the truth? Are you a child spiritually who brings joy to those in the body who hear and see your walk? And then I would say third, as parents or grandparents. And certainly John is speaking here about those who are, who are not in his household. He's talking about brothers and sisters that he's pastored. But consider as a parent how you might encourage a reputation of joy in your children you think about it. I have, I've, over the last week and a half, I have my youngest son who turned 10. And so there's no single digits in my home any longer, which is crazy. But it's also joyful. Joyful to see your child growing and maturing just, just in life physically. I have a son who this past week turned 16 and over the past year has turned into a man. It's unbelievable just to see 
the growth in him physically over a year's time. It's unreal, and it's, it's joy-inspiring. How much more, as parents and grandparents, should be seeking joy as we train and encourage our children to walk in truth? To not just say the right things, but to live in accordance with what we say we believe, to embrace the truth and walk in the truth and pray that they would more and more. Pray that you would see others similarly, that you would rejoice in their growth. If we love people and love God's truth, then we will rejoice greatly when people live out that truth. Joy. Those who follow the king of kings, are we a people of joy? Our king is good and gracious and forgiving and powerful, and he is true. And as a kingdom, as citizens of his kingdom, do we have a reputation of joy, bringing joy to others by what we believe and how we live and joy within us because of what we believe. You consider these texts as we prepare to close. Consider these texts and what they teach us about joy as a follower of Christ. In 1 Peter, Peter's beginning his letter, he says this in verses 8 and 9, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, what brings that kind of joy? What's this? Beginning with verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, If necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then he says, though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. What he's saying is this. If you know the truth and you embrace the truth, the result of that truth is rejoicing and joy in your heart because of what God has done. You think of the realities that that Peter is laying out there. According to his great grace, he's caused you to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's incredible. That's joy-producing. So Peter says, inwardly, as we think about the truth that we embrace, it brings joy, not based on circumstances. He even says, though for a little while, you're going to have trials. And yet, 
even though you don't see him in the midst of those trials, you rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory. So there's this inner joy that comes from embracing the truth of what God has done and who God is. But then there's this outflowing that brings joy to others. Second John chapter 12 where he writes, Though I have much to write to you, I'd rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come and talk to you face to face so that our joy may be complete. Because being with other believers who are embracing the truth brings joy. Philemon, verse 7, I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. The way that you have lived in the body of Christ has brought refreshment to me and joy to me just as it has to them. Is that our reputation? Am I someone who has inner joy because of the grace of God toward me through the work of Christ, one who delights with great joy in what God has done and then also delights with great joy when others are walking in that same truth? One who inspires joy in other believers as they embrace the truth and love others. Let's pray that as we even go through this short letter, that the Lord would help us, help us to see him as he is and what he's done as truth, and that it would produce a joy in us that is inexpressible and filled with glory, and that others would be inspired to rejoice, that we would have a reputation of joy because of our embracing of the truth. If you've attended here for uh, even a short amount of time, you know that as we do these short letters and teach through letters of the Bible or books of the Bible, if it's not Deuteronomy or Psalm, if it's a shorter letter, then I like to read through the entire letter at some point during the first sermon through that letter. And this is definitely short enough to do that. And so... The reason we do that here is because we really do believe that God's Word is truth and powerful and living and active. And that even as I'm called to teach it and explain it and, and, and try to break it down in a way that's understandable and helpful, my Word is not that. When I preach, you're called to go and examine what I've said and make sure I'm not lying to you. <laughs> or way off base, like that, that you ought to do that. You ought to do that. But when God speaks, it's truth. We trust it. We embrace it. We, we take it in. We trust it to do what my word could never do, what your word could never do for someone else. And so we read it knowing that his word alone has the power to change us. And so follow along as I Read beginning with verse 1. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, 
who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I hope rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. We're going to move into a time where we take the Lord's Supper. As we consider the truth, the truth that we love, the truth that we embrace, the gospel of Jesus. One of the ways that we embrace that and remember that and even proclaim that, Paul says, is through the taking of the bread and the cup. 1 Corinthians 11, beginning with verse 23, Paul says, I received from the Lord, but I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That verse at the end there is the main reason why we do this every single week. As often as you do it, as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What a joy that is is you consider that Jesus took bitterness for us so that no matter what we walk through, no matter what we face, whatever trial, as Peter says in 1 Peter 1, it is that we face, we can have inexpressible joy knowing that He took the greatest bitterness that we would ever have to face upon Himself. And so it's with joy that we can proclaim together His body was broken for us. His blood was poured out so that our sins could be forgiven. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace, Lord. You're so good to us. You're so gracious to us. You're so merciful to us. You are so loving to us. And Lord, we, we really do want to be a people who remember constantly those truths. To remember constantly the gospel of Jesus so that Whatever we face, Lord, we know deep within us there is a joy knowing that you're coming again and that we proclaim the Lord's death in these moments right now until you come. You're coming. We praise you and we thank you and ask you to bless. Bless us with joy and love for one another. In Christ's name, amen.